to create demand for your products and services in the market and ultimately capture it. And on the flip side, what that means is prospects are asking you for a meeting and they're inviting you into their buying process instead of the other way around where you're asking them for a meeting and trying to pull them into your sales process. Welcome to the Business Ownership Podcast, brought to you by Awareness Strategies, helping you navigate the waters between entrepreneurship and ownership. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedelec, and I'm super glad to have you here with us today because I'm here with my most amazing guest, Deanna. Deanna, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So give everybody the highlight of who you are and what you do for business. Yeah. So um, I am CEO of Growth Mode Marketing, which is a demand generation agency that helps B2B technology companies break through the clutter of a crowded market so that they can crush their revenue goals. Nice. I love it. So how did you get into marketing as your thing? And in particular, B2B, because that is a <laughs> that is a thing unto itself for sure. It It is. So, you know, I worked my whole career for the first many, many years in corporate. I was in marketing. I went to college for marketing. I, in grad school, actually took an entrepreneur class and thought someday I'd like to own my own business. But the irony is I wasn't quite sure what that business would be. And then about eight years ago, I was a VP of marketing for a software company that was private equity backed and had high growth initiatives. And there was a lot of pressure on my shoulders. Long story short, I had lunch with a former coworker. We were talking uh, you know, I told her I was having trouble finding an agency that really understood that it needed to be a B2B agency. We needed high growth. I needed that kind of support, which sounds weird because there's lots of marketing agencies out there, right? And, <laughs> you know, but I wasn't finding one that fit my exact needs. And right. the colleague I was having lunch with was like, we should start an agency, I was like, oh, okay. A couple months later, I left that job that I was at and we founded Growth Mode Marketing. Nice. I love it. Well, and it is funny how when you say it was eight years ago, but eight years ago in this industry is forever ago. (laughs) (laughs) It feels like forever ago. Yeah. (laughs) Well, because everything has changed so much since then. Like, Almost nothing oh, is amen. the same as it was then. <laughs> like email no, marketing was on top, affiliate marketing was phenomenal. Like things were easy but inaccessible. So you needed to have somebody like with the smarts, the ambition, the drive, the the tools, the templates, the everything to be able to figure it all out. And now we're in kind of a completely different playground. So what have you noticed is kind of the biggest differences in the market now? What does somebody now need to know, especially when it comes to B2B? Oh gosh, there's so many things. (laughs) You know, the thing that to me has really changed how my business goes about marketing for our clients is in the last few years in the B2B space, the way that prospects buy has changed considerably. And they're no longer like, I don't know if they ever were excited to talk to a sales rep, but they're much more (laughs) resistant to talking to a sales rep, you know, and the statistics coming out of Gartner, they say 72% of B2B buyers would prefer to have zero interaction with a sales rep. That's crazy, right? I'm actually surprised it's not 99%, but yeah, they're saying 72%. And well, that almost frightens me as a business owner to go, well, if my team doesn't want to talk to a salesperson, does that mean that they 
you know, can't say no or that they don't really know what they're <laughs> <know>. looking for. <laughs> I, I know, right? Um, you know, and they're making up to 80% of that purchase decision before they do engage with the sales rep. Fair enough. So when you step back and you look at the reality of how prospects buy today, the old lead gen model that we've been using in B2B space for years just isn't as impactful as it used to be. And what I'm hearing from companies when I talk to them, you know, they're coming to me and they're like, help, we need leads. We need them yesterday. Revenue is down, especially this year. I mean, a lot of companies are pulling back their spend and that's making it harder for everybody. You know, it's this vicious kind of cycle because if your buyers are pulling back on the spend, you pull back on the spend, like everyone's pulling back on the spend creates these issues in the economy, right? But plus side, if they're not talking they're, to salespeople, they're probably making really bad choices, <laughs> <laughs> which means that they're going to have to end up buying more next year. So that's all good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, well, the, the old tried and true methods of, you know, getting a marketing automation software, blasting out emails, having a sales development team or business development team that is cold calling on these individuals and trying to convert them into leads that become appointments for the sales team to chase just is less effective because if people are not willing to talk to a sales rep, you can imagine when they get that you know outreach, like let's set up an appointment, they're running for the hills. So from a marketing perspective, like we have to look at it and realize we've got to evolve as marketers. And that means maybe lead generation isn't the strategy we lead with anymore. And like when we work with our clients at Growth Mode Marketing, we're actually building out demand generation engines for them with the intent of let's make your digital footprint your best sales rep. Because... It's not replacing your sales rep. Eventually, especially big ticket items, you're going to have to talk to a sales rep. But if they're making up to 80% of that decision beforehand, marketing has to play a really big role in building not only brand awareness, but that credibility and trust and ultimately affinity for your brand so that individuals, when they get to that 80%, which let's face it, is probably your short list that your company makes it on there. Absolutely. So for definition purposes, talk to me about demand generation. What does that mean to you? And, and what does it mean to other people? <laughs> yeah, I, I think to, to understand demand generation, I should probably explain the difference between lead generation and demand <laughs> generation. So lead generation is when your marketing programs are only focused on the 5% of companies that are currently in market you're asking a prospect for a meeting and you're trying to pull them into the sales process. So a really simplistic way to kind of explain a lead generation example to the audience is if you think about it, like let's say you had a research report created and now you want to get it out in front of your prospects. So you purchase digital advertising, you put a form in front of that you put those ads out there, people click on that ad, they fill out the form, they get the content, you've now got the contact information. You hand it over to either your BDR, SDR, or your sales team to follow up with that individual and try to convert them into an opportunity that ultimately becomes a closed one sale. 
Demand generation on the flip side is where you put a focus in driving value, not just with the 5% that are currently in market, but also the 95% of companies who are not looking to buy right now. So understanding like I can either try to find the people that are ready to buy today, or I can have a more holistic program that not only continues to try to uncover prospects that are ready to buy now, but is nurturing the vast majority who are not ready to buy today. And so you're really building marketing programs that are focused on building brand awareness, credibility, and trust to create demand for your products and services in the market and ultimately capture it. And on the flip side, what that means is prospects are asking you for a meeting and they're inviting you into their buying process instead of the other way around where you're asking them for a meeting and trying to pull them into your sales process. Thanks. Well, this should appeal immensely to everybody that says to our answers the question, who do you sell to? And they say everyone. <laughs> if that's oh, been gosh, your don't answer. Don't even get me started and, there. <laughs> right. And it's the bane of your existence going, who's my now avatar? Who's my niche market? Now, now we can start to drill into this because I think it's, it's an important conversation to have because for millennial, it was brand awareness was key, right? And then we hit the mm -hmm. digital age and then it was like, oh, no, you have to have a target market, which you did because people would go in and they would look for a certain problem and they would solve that certain problem. And then it became hyper-targeted where it was like, you have to know that your audience is a redhead wearing a gray sweater and <laughs> earbuds <laughs> right like you had to know your audience to that fine of a point so that they could differentiate themselves and go yeah i want those kind not this kind yep. of whatever it was that you were sold we're selling and i think now it's especially in the b2b arena understanding that you are always selling to someone not to a company right it's who's the buyer and then bringing them in. So how do you navigate that conversation with people who aren't ready to, to buy yet, but you have a high probability of understanding that, you know, at some time, at point in time, we are your audience. Yeah. You know, I, I think this is a really common challenge for organizations and I work a lot with HR technology companies and I will ask them, you know, like these CEOs and these really smart people of these companies, Who's your ideal customer profile? Who do you sell to? And it is not uncommon for me to get the answer, well, any company that has employees. Like, wow, you have a really big total addressable market. That's amazing. However, there are 21,000 plus HR technology solutions out there. You're probably getting lost in the crowd because you're trying to be everything to everyone. So one of the things that we help organizations kind of come to the realization of and how to position their marketing so that they stand out in that crowd is to start with an ideal customer profile. And that actually is the company level, you know, and then you got to go to the buyer profile, which is the individual role level. But narrowing down your audience to expand your reach, because if you're trying to be everything to everyone, you resonate with no one. <laughs> right? Well, and it's, you it's know, almost right? silly to say that they can, because I mean, to say that you, you'll do placement for specialized engineers in the oil and gas field. And we also do trades guys. It's like, well, <laughs> so, you know, maybe yes, maybe no, right. I don't think so. Right. And, and it's really hard, you know, surprisingly, it's a hard pill to swallow 
yet unsurprisingly, because companies, you know, like their leaders and their marketers will push back and they'll be like, but we don't want to box ourselves in Mm -hmm. because we really can sell to everyone and we don't want anyone to think we can't sell to them. So why would we narrow down our audience, you know, and when you're trying to build traction and grow a company, you know, especially if you're not a well-established brand that basically can be everybody to everybody everything to everyone because you've already proven yourself this is how you focus your marketing it's it's purely a marketing strategy it doesn't mean you can't sell to those other people but you take that ideal customer profile and you use that as the foundation to focus your marketing message and then you figure out like what's our unique point of view in the market for that ideal customer profile and you start to create content for every stage of where a prospect is at. So most of them are at awareness, create a lot of awareness content. Some of them are at, at consideration, some are at decision, like create content for each of those stages. But the goal has to be like, how do we hyper focus that content to that ideal customer profile? focusing on the pain points specifically that they have and putting your unique point of view out there and creating content that they want to engage with. And there's this magical thing that happens when you actually do that and you give it time and you stick with it. You start to attract the very audience that you've declared as your ideal customer profile and you start to get traction. And so you don't sound like everyone else in the market anymore. It's not going to work on one email or one article, right? I, I mean, <laughs> more Gartner research. Obviously, I love my Gartner data, but they say it now takes 66 touches for a prospect to like notice you, right? That's a lot. And that doesn't wow. mean I sent them 66 emails and now I can call them. No, that means they you spammed them be... and now they're off your email. <laughs> right. You know, how many touches do they notice that you send them and they don't notice? So you got to you got to have a lot more than 66 and it's got to be on different channels. And, you know, so they start to say, hey, you know what? This is a company that I, I really dig what they're saying. Mm-hmm. And they're pointing out some pains that I have that I've never even thought that hard about, you know, or maybe they have. And I like what they're putting in front of me and I want to keep engaging with their content. And so while they're in that 95% who aren't ready to buy, they continue to consume your content. That's where the brand awareness, the credibility, the trust, and ultimately the affinity for your solution comes into play. So that by the time they are in market, and they've made 80% of that decision. They were thinking about you that whole 80% and you're now on the short list and they're finally ready to talk to a sales rep. So I want to know, how do you get 66 points of contact without annoying somebody for what second? <laughs> second. First question I have is um, the difference between awareness marketing and, and the different types, because I mean, I know what they are and you know what they are, yeah. but we're also in marketing. So for somebody who's not necessarily in marketing, what are the different types of um, of, of marketing that you would use and why? Yeah, so I look at there being, think of it as a funnel. There's mm-hmm. three stages. There's the awareness. That's when they're aware that they're they have a problem. They're not actively looking for a solution. 
They're just looking for advice, best practices, education. How do I solve this problem, right? What are tips you can give me? So think of that type of content. It's not sales focused. You're not trying to shove your product or your service down their throat yet. You're just educating <laughs> yeah. the market. <laughs> Give so, them so let's good go back content. to the let's go back to the HR example. <laughs> Give me an HR example of something that I would put out as an awareness thing if I ran an HR company. Yeah. So you might create a report about how to retain employees in modern day when there's quiet quitting and people want to work remote and you can't offer that and all the other things that are challenges for HR leaders today. Um, you might have You just gave my ideas for 27 different reports. <laughs> yes, 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 right? Um, you might have articles, tips on how to coach your employees, you know, all these different things. You're not actually talking about your products at this point. Your brand can be tied to it, but it's it's a very soft sell, right? Like, oh, and by the way, if you have this problem, call us. Then there's the consideration phase. So that is where companies and individuals have decided we definitely have a problem. We know we need to solve that problem. Let's look at the options that are out there. So they start looking at the different companies. They start looking at the different types of ways they can solve it to really decide and educate themselves. And that's where you might have like competitor comparison guides and you might have educational resources. Like let's say they're buying marketing automation. What is marketing automation? What are the functionality? What should you evaluate? Like articles, things around that nature that help them understand how to make a decision. And that final is the decision stage. And that's where you're trying to convince them to choose between you or their other options. You know, like they're down to, I'm, I'm ready to pull the trigger. I know who I want to talk to about this. So then you're looking at the things like case studies, um, sales collateral, ROI calculators, you know, the list goes on and on and, and think of it as like, by the time you get to the decision stage, it's the sales enablement tools. What are the things that help them make those final decisions that you are the best choice over all the other options that they have? Nice. Oh, okay. Now you're going to answer the 66 point thing with all going, Hey, 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 poking them in the chest. <laughs> and then we're going to move into the conversation about how this brings sales marketing and at all in within the company mm -hmm. together because i think they have to have cohesion at this point you can no longer do slatter marketing you have to bring these departments in order to be <laughs> functional but let's talk about the little 66 points <laughs> yeah you know if your whole marketing strategy is completely outbound and you're just blasting them with emails and you're calling them you're probably not going to see a high success rate you know, that's just the reality. So when you're thinking about marketing, you've got to think about how people buy today and where your ideal customer profile type of companies and the people that work for them, where they are going to consume information. Because the reality is they're digging in and they're going online and they're looking for information about you. And it's not just your website they're going to. 
They are pulling from review sites. They're going on LinkedIn and seeing what people are saying. They're asking people they know. They're even, you know, posting things in Slack channels and, and different social media platforms and communication methods to get feedback from other people to get insight onto how to solve problems, how to pick between different solutions, what people's experiences are with them. So that's where you've got to look at your digital footprint and figure out how do we build this out in a way where we're really easy to find. In fact, it feels like we're showing up everywhere that they're showing up, right? So you've got to have an omni-channel approach. And what I mean by that is don't pick one marketing tactic and only one and run with it. Have multiple things that collectively they all work together. They're going to have touch points. Um, when I work with clients, we will take an approach from a what we call distribution strategy. Like you've created all this really great content. How do you get it out in front of the audience? And there's three legs to that stool. The first is your website. If they come to your website, how deep can they go with the content? You know, if you've got a few pages of content on your website, they can't go very deep. You want them to get all the answers that they need when they come there. So you have to think about how do we create content loops? How do we ensure we have content for each stage of that buyer journey? So the awareness, the consideration, the decision, how deep can they go in looking at our products? So for example, if you're a technology company, they're going to want to see video demos. They're not going to want to book a demo with a sales rep before they're ready. They want to see it before that. They're going to want pricing pages. They're going to want to see case studies, all of those things. The second leg of that stool is what I call managed channels. And this is really where you look at how do we build up an audience that wants to consume and continue to engage with our content on an ongoing basis. Those are the type of channels where you can control what you're publishing, when you're publishing, how often you're publishing. So think about it, things like a podcast, for example. You've got a podcast series. That's a great way to build an audience. Blogs, webinar series, emails, social media, all those things where they can consume the content and, and do it at their leisure. Now, one could argue if you're doing digital advertising, emails, things like that, it's not necessarily at their leisure because it's being pushed in front of them, but they don't have to hit click on that. You know, they don't have to open that email. They don't have to click on the asset that you have in there. Same with a digital ad. Um, and the third leg of that stool is how do you tap into third-party channels that have already established a relevant existing audience where your ideal customer profile is hanging out so that you can create that brand awareness and hopefully get enough attention from them and enough interest where they decide they want to step into the managed channel arena and actually follow you and be part of your ongoing audience. I love that. And that's a very robust way of looking at the marketing in that you're taking all things into consideration so that you're not wasting money on things that aren't part of the mm -hmm. program, which drives me insane. Yeah. The businesses do that. And they're like, oh, well, we don't have it in the budget. It's like, because you're wasting your budget on things that aren't <laughs> the things that are going to get you bring. Like put, putting cat pictures on YouTube. It's just no, just no. <laughs> so yes. 
give us an example of a Cinderella story of one of your clients. A Cinderella story. You know, I, I think when we're able to come into an organization and they're fully like open to building a demand generation engine, that's where we see the Cinderella story because there's a lot of hesitation at times to let go of the lead generation because again, we need leads. We need them now. We need them yesterday, right? Totally get that. And demand generation is not a silver bullet where you build it and overnight the leads just start flowing in. It, it's a long-term strategy. It takes a while to build the trust in the market and the brand awareness. It takes a while to get them to consume the content enough to want to buy from you. And, you know, the stars have to align for them to actually be in market, right? So from a Cinderella story, I would say when they have realistic expectations of well, this let, is let, a let long-term in, strategy. Interjected there is, <laughs> is that when they have those, when they understand kind of the impact that this can make, the, mm -hmm. the long-term effect is stability, longevity, and consistent growth, which for a company yes. that's approaching that growth precipice, whereby you can outmarket your ability to fulfill on it. That is a very dangerous place for a lot of companies to be. Some of them go bankrupt in that phase because they blow themselves up. And it's, yep. it's a very real consideration, especially in your marketing, when it becomes successful to understand that you need to be able to um, understand these things. And for the most part, you're not getting like a dollar fifty of a of a instant lead. Oh yeah, gratification. And you know, you got the monkey on the <laughs> other end just clicking it, trying to get the the good feelings out of it it's this is a long-term approach by the time they've come around to this to yep. thinking of you it's a high ticket sale item or a long uh, value of that client they're going to stick around they're going to come back right you know you're not putting instagram ads out to sell your pants or your shoes where someone can instantly be like wasn't in market for shoes but turns out i am right like if you're selling a enterprise software for example that's a million dollars a year, it's going to take a while, right? Like to build that trust and to, again, the stars have the stars align where they can actually raise their hand and say, I'm in market. So you have to look at it as a long-term strategy because quite frankly, Rome wasn't built in a day. Why do you think your marketing is going to start performing in a day either? And I think a lot of companies, especially, you know, entrepreneurs who have that pressure and that desire to grow rapidly mm -hmm. like one of your biggest growth killers is lack of patience because if you just start throwing everything at the wall to see what sticks you're wasting a lot of money you're being very reactive and i would call that random acts of marketing and <laughs> the short-term <laughs> results don't last so right. you might bring a few leads in the door but how good was the quality of those leads and ultimately like if you build an engine and you build an audience that really engages with your content and wants to become, you know, a client of yours, those are going to be better leads that have shorter sales cycles, mm -hmm. higher closed one rates and overall lower customer acquisition costs. And it starts to become more predictable. And, you know, just imagine if you've got the leads coming in the door asking you for those meetings versus chasing after them and begging them to take a sale meeting with you. 
So when it comes to your clientele, what kind of results have you seen? So, you know, we've worked with a lot of clients over the years and uh, honestly, they all come in for different reasons. So not every single one of them that come in the door, are like, let's grow the revenue. Let's figure this out. Um, one example I can give you though, we were working with a company that does out of home media. So mm. advertising, for example, you go into a bathroom stall, you see those ads, you're riding a chairlift in Vail, Colorado. You see the ads on there. Um, they came to us, they were in growth mode and they needed to figure out how to kind of systemize their marketing because they had a marketing automation system, they had a marketing leader, they had a big sales team, but everybody was kind of growing rogue and doing their own thing. And one of the things that we did with them was take a step back and say, okay, let's identify a couple of verticals that we're going to focus on and let's really build out the content and the marketing programs around that. So we did that with them. And within six months, you know, we had all the data in Salesforce. We were able to look at it and be like, okay, we have three X to the sales pipeline. The close rates have improved by 20%. And Overall, the lead volume coming in, not only did it increase, but the quality of those leads also increased as well. So, you know, that was only six months in when you take a step back and think about it, like because they got that right at the point that they did, they were able to continue to build on that and ultimately turn around and get bought out, um, which was their ultimate goal was to be acquired. I love that. I want a great example because I think it's one of those ones that, oh, well, we can sell to anybody that has people in there. It's like, yeah. And, <laughs> and they did. And, yeah. And they could just target in on restaurants. They could target in on pubs. They could target in on English pubs. Mm -hmm. They could target in on English pubs with weird names and they wouldn't create a competition for themselves. They'd create a, a value add that we know English yeah. pubs with weird names and, and, like we honed in on this, right? <laughs> like that's to me right. is what gives them that special something, something. And if they want to duplicate it and go into, you know, the competition of Scottish pubs <laughs> that they can just start another <laughs> website and it's like 14 bucks for the domain, who cares at that point? Like you, you can, yeah. you can replicate those efforts so much more easily. I love that. Brilliant example. Uh, awesome. So companies that have what I'm going to call distorted or, um, kind of fly everywhere kind of marketing it's, it's got no means to the madness and doesn't have cohesion to it is one of the struggles that people have in their businesses that might be listening right now what other struggles might somebody be having that's listening to this and going oh my god dean and we need you so badly yeah you know I, I think the biggest struggle especially in smaller organizations really is the random acts of marketing mm -hmm. because what happens is a lot of organizations, either they don't create a marketing strategy, which quite frankly is a mistake because it's the blueprint that keeps you focused and that makes sure everything you're doing is moving towards that growth that you're trying to achieve. Um, or they create a strategy and then they kind of forget about it and get very reactive in marketing. And what I mean by that is, you know, if, if I'm a marketer within a company and you're the CEO and you come to me and you're like, hey, Deanna, you know what? It'd be great if we did a press release on this. And how about an email campaign like this? 
many marketers don't feel comfortable saying, hold up, CEO, we have a strategy here. And I am hyper-focused on that strategy. And right now I'm evaluating whether what you're asking for moves us towards that mission of growth or not. And it doesn't, you know, they're, they're afraid to say that. Um, plus you have salespeople who are coming and they're like, I have a great idea. If you could just create this for me, I believe I could move this big account I've been working on for six months now. You know, as marketers, we want to be helpers. We want to help the business succeed. We want to help sales move those deals along. We want the CEO to feel good about, you know, the investments that they're making in marketing. Mm -hmm. So we get very reactive in the marketing and all of it is done with really good intentions. But when you take a step back and you look at it at the end of the year, it's like, was this strategic or did we do a lot of things that actually were disconnected and didn't move the needle as much as it could have? And if that is the answer, that it didn't move the needle as much as it could have, that shows like, okay, you didn't have a strategy. And even if you did, you didn't stick to your guns and make sure that that strategy was the primary focus of everything that you did. So I think that's the biggest mistake that I see organizations make. Mm-hmm. in doing that the other is getting so wrapped up in being able to measure the ROI of everything and i get that i can't tell you how many times i have company leaders tell me i need you to prove it works and if it does i'll spend all the money in the world to help us grow and it's like yeah stop saying that like trust me as marketers we want to make sure that what we're doing is working but not everything can be easily measured and tied back to immediate ROI. And when especially if you're not willing to invest the money in the systems required to be able to track said thing. <laughs> Just right. <saying. laughs> and, and even if you do have those systems, they're not perfect. Right. You, you exactly. have to take it with a grain of salt because at the end of the day, not every activity or action that a prospect takes can actually be measured. And it's not one thing in marketing likely that mm. moved the needle for them. Because remember, it took 66 touches before they were <laughs> even going to pay attention that you existed, right? And so if you stop and think about it, let's say you have a podcast series for your business. Well, you don't know who listened to your podcast. Unless you you're putting out a unique see... link for that, there's no way you know how effective that is. None. That's, that's, that's true. You know, I suppose there are certain ways you could measure some individuals doing it, but you don't know who saw something on LinkedIn and went and talked to their boss and passed that information around. Like there's all these things that are happening behind the scenes that are influencing their decision that you can't see, you can't measure. And, and as I creepy as mis- Google is getting... <laughs> You're still not right, right, right. And <laughs> I, I think as much as we want to measure things, if you're looking at it and saying, if we can't measure it, if we can't prove the ROI, we're not going to do it. You're making yeah, no. a huge mistake because let's say you have a podcast and it only has 50 listeners per episode, but those 50 people are prime buyers 
Wouldn't perfect. you take that over a podcast that has 5,000 listeners per week that are random, you know, and irrelevant to you? Like, exactly. you just need the right people to engage with your content and you need to have perspective, you know? So I'm going to paraphrase this a little bit. So if somebody, if you mm-hmm. have somebody on your team that's going, hey, I got an idea. Hey, I got an idea. Hey, I got an idea. <laughs> You probably need somebody to help you with strategy. (laughs) (laughs) And if you're like, yeah, but what's the ROI? What's the ROI? What's the ROI? You probably need somebody to help you out with that strategy. So I know there's a lot of listeners like that out there. So they're going to want more from you. How do they start their journey with you? So if you're interested in learning more about demand generation, I would recommend listening to my podcast, which is called The Demand Gen Fix. You can find it on Apple Spotify, YouTube, basically anywhere you get your podcast. Wherever you are um, right now. <laughs> right. I, I also recommend like follow me on LinkedIn, Deanna Shimoda, because I post a lot about demand generation and marketing and how to grow your company. And then of course, if you need help with your strategy around marketing and you're serious about growing and, and you need some outside expertise, check out our website, which is growthmodemarketing.com. I love it. We will, of course, have all of Deanna's links in the show notes. So go ahead and scroll down, click on the links, open them up in a new browser because we're not done yet. Uh, And I just love saying your name, Deanna Shimoda. You should have been a rock star or something. (laughs) (laughs) That one flows. Awesome. So at what point in life did you know that you're especially kind of crazy enough to think that you could become an entrepreneur? Uh, You know, it was, that's a great question. My, my, grandfather and my great-grandfather actually owned a business that my dad ended up taking over that was founded in 1906 so I guess even though I never thought of them as entrepreneurs in hindsight I'm like I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs and my dad's had a few businesses since then Um, so I don't know when I thought I'm going to be an entrepreneur for sure other than eight and a half years ago when I had lunch <laughs> and spur of the moment, you know, like, my yeah, sure, said, Let's hey, start we should start an agency. And I'm like, oh, what the hell? <laughs> I know how to do that. It'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> you, you are absolutely awesome. Any last words for our peeps? I would just say, you know, if you're serious about growth, you've got to invest in marketing. And I don't say that as Hey, spend the money, come work with me. I say that as someone who, as a business owner and entrepreneur myself, and having worked in many organizations that were growing and were private equity backed, like without that marketing piece, quite frankly, if people don't know you exist, they're not going to buy from you. And it's one of the first areas as a business that you need to make an investment in because quite frankly, if you hire a whole sales team, knowing how people buy today, if that sales team doesn't have the marketing support to create that brand awareness and trust in the market, they're going to have a really hard time helping you grow. Absolutely. And peeps, make sure that you're getting your marketing, your sales, (laughs) uh, and your planning and and fulfillment people all together in the room so that they can have real discussions on how to do this. So I love it. And then, mm-hmm. of course, bring Deanna in so that she can moderate the whole discussion. <laughs> Make sure that that conversation is useful, not just a bunch of people going, what I say is important. No, what I say is important. Yeah, I've been in on those ones too. <laughs> Deanna, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. And I know how valuable it is. Thank you. It was great to be on the show. 
Awesome. Peeps, this is Michelle Nedelec. Thank you for being here today. Be sure to subscribe to the show and share it with your friends. We love helping entrepreneurs grow. Are you running a business over seven figures but still struggling with technology headaches? Pay attention. You do not want to miss this offer. This podcast episode is brought to you by Awareness Strategies, who is offering a custom-built digital adoption roadmap for anyone running a business over seven figures who's wanting to grow their business in the next five years. And it's not just a roadmap. They offer full implementation as well. If that scares the out of you, check out awarenessstrategies.com forward slash roadmap for more details today. The link's in the show's notes. Don't regret not doing this. Do it now. That's awarenessstrategies.com slash roadmap.